Hello, hello, it's me, Jacqueline Twilley, best-selling author of Navigating the Career Jungle and founder of Zero Gap, the training and development firm focused on women who work within male-dominated industries. Welcome to the podcast, y'all. What you're about to listen to is a conversation that was recorded a while back with my friend Whitney Barkley. She's the founder of Barter Babes, and this is for her series, Babes in Charge. What we discussed in this conversation, which is one of the longest podcast episodes that I've produced to date, is how to handle difficult conversations using negotiation technique. So I'd like you to pause if you don't have a pen and paper, because this is more of a lesson that we go deep on how to really set proper expectations, which is one of the biggest elements of handling difficult conversations in negotiations. One of the things that you'll know from formal negotiation training is upfront, you want to set proper expectations. And most people just hop into negotiation without really setting the groundwork. And having some ground rules upfront will really set you up for success, as you'll hear in this conversation with Whitney. But hey, y'all, if you have any questions about this extended podcast episode, because we share so much information, hop into the Power Banking Podcast group on Facebook and I'm going to do a live later this week to answer any of your questions. If you're listening to this podcast uh, months from now, I will keep that video in the group so that you can watch any of the follow-up conversation and questions that people have from this episode. Also, many of you have sent me messages directly and asked me to answer your negotiation question on the podcast, and I can absolutely do that. So I talked to the team, and this is the best way for us to answer your questions. If you send us a voice note, 60 seconds or less, y'all, with your question related to negotiation, and keep it simple, right? And don't disclose all of the details, such as your company name or people's names, things like that. Send us a voice note and send that to the email address on the Power Banking Facebook page, and we will start incorporating that into future episodes. I'm so grateful that you all listen to this podcast. I don't take it for granted because I know you have so many options out there. And one thing I'd like you to do for us is head over to iTunes, leave us five stars and a comment because that's what helps other people find this podcast. All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I'm looking forward to hearing your feedback. Talk to you soon and emulate excellence and eliminate excuses. Hey everyone, this is Whitney Barkley and I am the Chief Connector of the Barter Babes. Welcome to our second installment of Babes in Charge. I am so excited and proud to have Jacqueline Twilley. She is a negotiation strategist and the CEO of Zero Gap. Tonight, we're going to talk about how to navigate through difficult business conversations because as you know, it is a little difficult to ask for what you're worth. It may be difficult to ask for um, your non-negotiables. There's so many different things that we're going to discuss tonight. And I just want to give Jacqueline a quick moment to introduce herself and what she does. Hello, everyone. My name is Jacqueline Twilley. As Whitney said, I'm super excited to be with the Barter Babes community tonight. And let me tell you a little bit about myself beyond the amazing intro that Whitney gave. I am an auntie. I have several nieces and nephews. Love them all to pieces. They live in Louisiana, where I'm originally from. And my company, Zero Gap, is based in Dallas, Texas. So last thing about me before we hop into it, I love, love lattes. So if you are ever in the city of Dallas, hit me up. We can grab a cup of coffee. You cannot pick my brain, but we can talk about amazing, delicious foods tacos and everything else over a nice latte. I love it. I love that directness. You can't pick my brain, but we can have coffee. <laughs> That's perfect. You're always in the coffee shop working and grinding, so I, I love it. So again, welcome to Jacqueline. And for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, Babes in Charge is a interview series where we talk to women who are experts at what they do to help emerging female entrepreneurs ultimately become successful in their business. Because let's face it, um, 
we try to do everything. Sometimes we try to be superwoman, but realistically, we just don't know everything. So I'm hoping that I bring in people like Jacqueline to kind of give you all some insight and hopefully help you make better decisions for your business. So with that being said, if you are watching, please make sure that you are utilizing the YouTube comment feature. So if there's any questions throughout this broadcast, please let us know. We're happy to answer any of your questions. If YouTube Live is not your thing, please feel free to write us on Twitter at the Barter Babes using the hashtag Babes in Charge. So without further ado, I want to hop into the questions because Jack Jacqueline has a lot of really great nuggets tonight and I don't want to waste any time. So um, Jacqueline, just tell us a little bit about your professional background. So essentially, what has inspired you to help professional women and female entrepreneurs learn how to earn their worth? I do want to let everyone know, if you stay until the end, an over 10 page PDF guide for everyone who is with us. I know if you follow us on Twitter, it was originally three pages. It's about 11 pages now. So stay until the end of the webinar so that you can get the instructions on how to get that PDF guide. Now, a few years ago, I went to an event for Labo League. At that event, I learned about the gender wage gap and equal pay day. And I left that event feeling a little confused, not really sure if I believed the wage gap and if it impacted me. So I did research and I realized that yes, indeed, it is real. It's horrifying, especially for women of color. And I decided to do something about it. So around that time frame, I started investing up to three hours a day, about three hours a day on average, learning the science and skill behind negotiation. And I started teaching that to my peers. And I remember my first large workshop, 100 women showed up to this negotiation event. There were a few men in there, so maybe it was like 90 or so women. <laughs> and that's when I knew that I was on the right path and that I would continue doing this. Wow, that is that is inspiring. So it initially started at a Label League event. And for all of you who are unfamiliar with Label League, they are a wonderful organization. Um, they initially were, was created to help uh, millennial women and just kind of help them with upward, upward mobility in their career. But they've since expanded. So definitely check them out. I know Jacqueline's been associated with them for a while. So definitely a great organization. So, um, you know, you, you mentioned this pay gap, right? You know, we've all heard that. And as a matter of fact, Equal Pay Day was last week. So we hear about this a lot in corporate America. So how does the gender wage gap translate to female entrepreneurs? Really interesting dynamic. I pulled some stats um, offline and it's startling. So women tend to start their businesses with six times less capital than men do. And then on top of that, only 1.8% of women-owned businesses ever reach a million dollars in revenue. And a million dollars is like the starting point for having a real business, okay? And then on top of that, most women cap out at around $250,000 in revenues. And that is with um, small employees. Most of the time, it's just them themselves. So when we look into the gap, it really starts at how we're planning to set up our businesses to be big. And so when you think about creating a business, it's really important from the onset to dream big and to be aspiring to that million dollar mark. And then finding the right partners and the right investing partners in your business so that you can really grow and scale. Because if your business, whether you offer a product or service, is going to make a real impact, you're going to need to hire other people. So when we talk about the wage gap, there are some significant wage gaps for women. Women tend to pay themselves less. That's another thing that contributes to the entrepreneurial wage gap. But those are just some of the stats of what happens with women-owned businesses. Wow, they tend to pay themselves less. So he said that women typically cap out of $150,000 a year? $250,000 in, in revenues. Wow. Okay. Wow. That is, <laughs> that is amazing. A little startling sometimes. So, you know, just kind of speaking of that, you mentioned that women often pay themselves less. And I think sometimes that has to do with how we set up our prices because, you know, sometimes as entrepreneurs, we want to meet our clients halfway. We want to make sure that we're affordable. We want to make sure that we're able to compete. So tell me, um, tell me how, how does offering reduced or low price points affect your reputation and bottom line as an entrepreneur? All right, so 
first of all, you should be charging the market rate. When you set up your business structure and when you're writing your business plan, you should have thoroughly researched what the rates are in your industry so that you are charging those competitive market rates. So that's just one of the things that we need to, to set out of the gate is making sure your prices are competitive. Now what happens is people tend to bark at the prices for whatever reason and then you as a business owner, you want that business so bad that you get into this thing where you just start discounting your rates, discounting your rates, and you're devaluing yourself, devaluing the services that you offer. And in turn, that lets people know that you aren't worth what the price was that you originally said, if you had a price set. But I'm going to be honest with you, Whitney. A lot of women, small business owners, just starting out of the gate, and they're not near the $250,000 mark. A lot of the women who are well below that, they tend to start doing things that they're passionate about, they have a hobby for, and someone says, how much do you charge for this? And they haven't really thought about it. And so... What happens is they just pull a number out of thin air, which is why I said you need to start your business plan and your business structure with some real prices, okay? And so the other thing, when you discount your rates, when someone says, oh, that's too high, I can't afford it, what happens is you let them know that you aren't the top of the line and everyone's aspiration should be the best at whatever it is they do. So let me give you an example of some of the things that you should consider when you set up your prices and how not to back down off of those prices. Uh, Whitney, last week you and I were talking in preparation for this, and I shared with you the example of the woman who sells cakes. So this woman bakes cakes, and it costs her $5 for the material. That's the flour, the salt, the sugar, the eggs, the milk, the butter. Or everything that she puts in the cake and so she says oh it, it only cost me five dollars to make the cake so I really shouldn't charge thirty dollars okay but then when you really examine how much it costs to bake that cake she had to drive to the store to get it that was her time where no matter how far near the store is she had to get there and then she had to spend time shopping and then she had to drive back home and then if she's using her home kitchen, she's using her own electricity, she's using her own equipment. So all of those things need to be calculated into the price. So it's not just that her cake costs $5 to make, it's well beyond that. So whatever your services are, you also need to consider, you've invested a lot in your education into colleges, and getting a, a two or four year degree, whether it's advanced certifications, going to conferences, et cetera, you calculate all of that into what you're selling, okay? And so let me, I'm gonna pause in one second for questions. So get y'all questions ready, type them into YouTube because I wanna make sure that this is impactful for everyone. So what happens when someone comes to her and says, your cakes taste really good, I wanna buy a couple for my party. And so they mean two cakes, but $30 is a bit high. Can you just give them to me for 15 for both? We're just so happy and you like this compliment of oh they like my cake. other people are going to be at this party so they're going to taste my cake and they're going to want to know who made it and then that's potential new customers well if you're in the business of making money are in business you should be your goal is to make money you have to say okay I can give you a discount once we hit 10 cakes okay because then the cost of baking those cakes goes significantly down and you can have a high margin so if you're going to discount your products and services it needs to be beneficial to your business wow and I think I mean and myself included I mean cuz I've done that I've done that a lot you know I do a multitude of different things and people are like oh well, how much do you charge for that and it's just like oh I've never thought about that before and then you really have to sit down and estimate everything that you do in order to come up with that price and I think a lot of people struggle with that at times because they see a price they see what other people charge and they assume that's what they should charge but they're not thinking about the other factors that go into that particular price so that makes sense yeah, and it's really important to gauge the market rate again. What are your competitors charging? And then how does your experience and your track record of success of having clients who can speak to your behalf and say, yes, she's done this for me. Her business has helped me reach these goals. 
how do you factor that into your prices? Well, it's quite simple. If you're above and beyond the rest, then you should be charging the highest end of the price range. But if you still have a ways to go, you've only had one person that you've worked with before and you have to build that track record of success, then you want to start on the lower end of that price range. And as you get more wins in your business, then you can increase your prices. Mm. So don't, don't come off at the high end, come in at a lower end, and then you can gradually increase that over time. Yeah, depending on your level of experience. Now, if you've been doing this for a while and you're just starting your business, but you have a huge track record of success, then yes, you can charge at the high end. But it depends on how confident you are that you can say, I can do this for you and I can get you this result. Mm -hmm. And and there's something too, um, it's interesting that you say this with prices. This is something my mentor told me as well. Um, I hear a lot that, you know, if people can't afford your prices, then more than likely they're not your target audience. How do you feel about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I feel like for women who struggle with saying what their prices are, they need to have them posted on their website because you need to let those people know right off the gate, this is how much you charge, okay? So you, I wholeheartedly agree with your mentor, but I also think that if that's an area that you struggle in and you're worried about people not being able to afford your prices, those aren't the clients for you. About When there's something that people want, they will save and put their money aside for that. People pay for what they want, and so you be very, clear and upfront what the prices are and someone can't afford it tell them I would love to work with you in the future these are my rates Wow okay excellent excellent so switching gears just a little bit so let's get just more into the difficult conversation so obviously definitely earning your worth as an entrepreneur is really important but you know just as a new business owner what are the difficult conversations that people are most likely to encounter so last week, you and I put out a couple of questions on Twitter and the Facebook groups to find out what people have difficulty with in the early stages of their business, these difficult conversations. One of those difficult conversations is actually what we just talked about. What are your rates? And people have a hard time saying the rates. So it's really important, again, to have your rates in your business plan. But in addition to that, post them on your website to help you with that. The other difficult conversations that I got some feedback on was that people will often have to chase a client for payment. So you get a partial payment up front or you get all of your money on the back end and then that client isn't paying and people don't know how to approach that conversation. So ladies, the system and process in place upfront before you work with any customers on how you're going to handle this because sometimes it happens it happens in every business and it doesn't mean that people want to be disrespectful or they want to get over on you it's just sometimes people fall on hard times so you need to have a plan of action on how you're going to handle this these are a couple of my recommendations one you want to have a formal invoice system so that they're receiving their invoice via email or physical mail. They need to know how much they owe you, okay? The next thing is send them a reminder prior to their due date. If you use an online software, that makes it really easy. You could probably go in and put in the due date and send that off to them. Now, on the day that it's due, they should get another copy of their invoice busy before we have things that we needed to pay for and then all of a sudden the day has gotten by us and we're like oh my goodness I didn't realize it's 11 p.m. I didn't pay this or that so set yourself up for success for them to pay you by making those easy reminders also make it extremely easy for them to pay you and then the other thing that you want to do is let's say a week has gone by and they haven't paid you send an email or a text because they're nervous. They don't want to have that conversation. This is where you actually need to pick up the phone and call and say, are you, how are things going? You want to establish rapport. Don't just hop into it. Okay. And you might be nervous and a little bit afraid to have this conversation, but it's like Whitney says, I'm good. Da 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 da. Or, Whitney doesn't answer the phone. We're going to get to Whitney not answering the phone in a second because she knows. Oh, she knows. Phone. <laughs> <laughs> that's the phone, right? All right, so you answer the phone and I say, I sent over this invoice. It hasn't been paid yet. I'm just wondering, did you have any concerns with the services that I provided? 
because you do want to know, aren't they not paying because they had an issue? So that have those open lines of communication. If that person says, no, everything was fine, and says, okay, well, I can receive your payment over the phone with a credit card, okay? This is difficult for most people to do because they don't want to sound pushy and aggressive. But again, you are in business to make money. The other thing is, if there is an issue with the services that you provided, find out what those are, rectify it immediately, resend that invoice, and confirm a date for them to pay that invoice before you hang up. If the person doesn't answer the phone, you definitely want to, at this point, send a physical invoice in the mail to them, okay? Another difficult conversation that people have early on in business is they are receiving a service as the business owner and that other person hasn't delivered. And so to vent to their family and friends and say, oh, I can't believe this person didn't come through with this and they didn't come through with that. You need to be extremely upfront and direct. Call that person and say, hey, you know, we had an agreement for us to do these services. I'm not quite pleased with this. And I have already paid you for this service. What can we do to get this fixed and move forward? And then the two of you together talk through those those options to rectify that solution. So those are just a couple of the things that I see women struggle with. Wow. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. We actually have a couple of comments. I want to read them really fast. So Latoya, hi Latoya. She said, great info, taking notes. He says, I'm a writer, so I require full payment up front via invoice. That, that's awesome. Uh, Stephanie said, this is where I mess up. I think you were talking, um, taking the payments up front from clients. Uh, Latoya said, if they had an issue, I feel like they would have said something from the beginning. I love the quote in the background, by the way. So shout out to you and your <laughs> beautiful wall. Oh, my <laughs> yeah, okay. Thank you. Okay, perfect. Okay, good stuff, good stuff. So um, let's talk about body language, right? Um, because sometimes you meet with clients in person, and sometimes those difficult conversations don't always occur through email or through or on the phone or through social media. So tell me what type of body language and verbal communication should entrepreneurs convey when engaging in difficult conversation? So one video that I want everyone to watch, and this is also in the guide that I put together for you that you'll get at the end of tonight's webinar. It's Amy Cuddy's TED Talk. Amy C-U-D-D-Y, that is a must watch. She talks a lot about the science of body language. So a couple of things that you need to be aware of, especially as a woman, is your tone of voice, okay? A lot of times we hear how we sound in our own head, but we don't know how we sound aloud. So before you get into a conversation, practice what you're going to say in advance, record it on your cell phone, play it back so that you can hear how you sound, and you can make simple tweaks and adjustments to your tone of voice. The other thing is, it sets the stage for a face-to-face -face meeting or an in-person meeting is that handshake. So you want to give a nice firm handshake and make eye contact at the same time. Match the other person's strength of their handshake. So you never want to give a flimsy handshake. That is a sign that can let people know that they can be aggressive with you in a business meeting or in a negotiation. So always have that firm handshake, make eye contact. The other thing is, in a meeting, a lot of women that I have coached typically sit like this with their arm crossed. It's not because they're necessarily nervous, it's because they might just be comfortable like this. But in the video with Amy Cuddy, she's going to break down why this is a sign that you're protecting yourself. So you want to make sure that your shoulders are back, your arms are by your side or on the table, and that you're commanding the space around you so that you can be extremely confident. Another thing that you want to do with your body language is if you disagree with something that someone is saying, you want to be mindful of what your face looks like. So one of the things that I tell my clients to do when I'm coaching them through negotiations is watch something or listen to something that you disagree with and put your phone up next to you, right, and record yourself so that you can see what your facial expressions do so that you can be more aware of those facial expressions, all right? And then one more thing with body language. When you're in a meeting, you're face-to-face, -face, and you're having that conversation, 
don't overthink. You want to engage in active listening because one of the things that you can do is if you're overthinking, you're preparing your response to what someone says, your body language is going to show that you're disinterested in them. So maintain eye contact throughout. If you're taking notes, it's appropriate to jot down a couple of notes and then look back up with them. But you don't want to take notes on your phone because people can perceive that as that you're texting. So if you have an iPad, that's cool. They can see the note part there. But I prefer that you bring in pen and pad, physical paper, so that people don't get the perception that you're distracted or you're disinterested in them. That's amazing. That's good. Like this, like what you were saying about this, like, I, I think I do that sometimes. Like, I need to pay attention to that now. But yeah. And I have a question. Do you know anything about rocking? Because I tend to rock a lot. Yeah, rocking is a that sign means. that you're nervous, okay? okay? So you definitely want to be more aware of, if you, you're doing it right now, <laughs> <laughs> but you want to be more aware of it. So one of the things, I've rocked before too. One of the things that I like to do is I like to get to a physical meeting in advance. A lot of office chairs have that adjustable lever on it. And sometimes they're set at the lowest setting, right, where you're closest to the ground. And in some instances, that's a negotiation power play because the person you're negotiating with might have their chair higher. So it's going to appear that they're higher than you and you're lower. So I get to meetings early when I get to my seat. I adjust my seat. If my seat does not adjust, I switch it out with one what that does. And then, and then, no, it's, it's complete, completely appropriate to do this. You need to pay attention to all the details. To help me from rocking is if I have a chair that rocks, I switch to another chair. And I get really comfortable in my chair. So I will sit back and I'll sometimes put my arm up like this. Because if you're rocking on a chair like this and your arm is up, it, it will show and it'll be a little bit awkward. So I just kind of wrap this part of my arm on the back end of the chair and that kind of keeps me steady. Wow. So you just taught me something new. I, I like, I've always realized that I've done that, but I never really realized why I did it. So yeah. excellent. So a couple comments, couple com comments. Let me uh, read through. <laughs> All right. Um, Amy, cut it. I'll put that down there. Oh, so Stephanie had a question. Um, I think this is in reference to what we were talking about with the clients and calling them to figure out like what's wrong and to assure them about it. She said, what do you do if they answer the phone and say nothing is wrong? So what if they say nothing is absolutely wrong? Yeah, if nothing is wrong, then ask them if you can get the payment from them over the phone. And mm -hmm. if some people have extenuating circumstances, Let's say their, their car broke down and they had to pay to get the car repaired. Set up a payment plan at that point and get that first payment before you hang up the phone. And then don't make it easy okay. where you're going to follow up with an invoice. Say, okay, I will call you on the 13th at 10 a.m. so that we can take care of the next payment over the phone. Let them know okay. that you're on top of your cash flow and that you – are expecting to be paid okay so this is not a point where you tiptoe around you always always need to be respectful when you have these conversations don't get that snap clap back attitude like pay me what you owe me where my money at type of attitude but it's more of this is a long-term relationship you want to continue to do business with them and you want their referrals so if they just say look I'm not paying you I got what I needed blah 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 then that's when you talk to a legal advisor and find out what legal resources or recourses you can take to secure your money. And this is also why it's important that you invest in an attorney early on in your business so that you can establish a contractual agreement that is legally sound for where your business is based so that in the event where you do have to use legal services to recover your money, you have a contract established that laid everything out very clearly, and every client should sign that agreement up front. Wow. I think I think that's good, and you just you triggered something, especially for people that I know who are kind of like in the creative and service-based business. Like, I do graphic design, right? So, you know, depending on the project, sometimes I have people pay up front, but if it's something that's going to be um, – 
a little lengthy, like if it's going to be a lengthy project or something that's a little bit more expensive, I do require that people pay a deposit. And um, I saw something the other day on Facebook about someone who did graphic design for a client. The client said that they were dissatisfied with the work, but they actually still ended up using a graphic anyway. And they had already refunded the client the money. So um, I guess, too, for you guys who are just kind of in that service-based industry, make sure that you're protecting your work, too, especially if it's something like graphic design or anything that's kind of visual as well, or even photography. Yeah, so that's why you see a lot of people put their logo um, transparent across their piece of work, whether it's a, a photo or something like that. You don't send them the raw documents until, without that watermark on it, until they pay fully for those services. Mm -hmm. So you just, you made me think about that because that was a horror story on Facebook the other day. So I just, I wanted to bring that up. <laughs> Okay, yes. Okay, so Makita said, yes, reminders are key. It's not that I forget on purpose. An email can... And underneath agreement, sit up straight, be attentive. Boss, watch your face. Great one. <laughs> Jordan says, wow, I'm going to try that. I have a resting bitch face. Yeah, a lot of people think that they do. Um, let's see. Amazing content. Thank you. Great information on body language. Thanks, Miss Linda. Okay, perfect. Everyone said smart. Thanks. Good to non-refundable deposit. Okay, good stuff. Just wanted to make sure I wasn't missing you guys. So let's keep going. So next question. What are the top three, in your opinion, your top three do's and don'ts when entering a difficult conversation in business? Okay, so I'm going to mix up my top three do's and don'ts together. One of the things that you need to do before you go into any conversation is that you need to outline what you want to say. Have a clear plan, don't wing it. Anytime you wing it, you leave money on the table, okay? So have a clear plan of what you're going to say, the points that you want to cover, especially in a difficult conversation. The next thing that you should have when you enter a difficult conversation is some key phrases to get back on track when the conversation drifts off. And conversations will naturally drift off and you'll end up on another topic. So in advance, plan on how you're going to come back to that difficult point and cover that. The other thing that you don't want to do is sometimes we get emotional. So you want to be aware of your own presence and your own EQ, your emotional intelligence, so that you know that you can manage your own emotions that I would caution you not is to enter into a difficult conversation at the heat or at the height of your emotions. Okay, you are feeling like you are fired up, you're about to go off on somebody, they will say one thing and it's going to set you off. You need to pause that conversation and have it at another time. Okay, the other thing is when someone is sharing difficult information with you, whether it's feedback about your products or services, or you just disagree with them on something else, don't cut them off and don't jump to be defensive. You want, you're running a business, so you want to extend all the professional courtesies to them that you would expect. So listen to them, take notes. If you have to, it's sometimes appropriate to take those notes, let both parties cool off, and have a follow-up meeting afterwards. Mm. So one of my other do's is, at the end of the conversation, you wanna say, throughout the conversation, you wanna use inclusive language. Not me versus you, but more of us and we, and how we can move forward in this. Again, you're looking to build long-term relationships. You don't wanna burn any bridges. So on the opposite end of that, Try to avoid any language that says that you're offering them an ultimatum. If you don't do this, then I won't do that because that's going to put a bad taste in both parties' mouth, okay? And you can also call someone out if they're being passive aggressive and say, you know, we worked really well together. I think our businesses are my services really complement what you need. And so I don't think that we're having a disagreement as individuals. It's just this business principle that we don't agree on. Let's talk about ways that we can challenge and move forward. So you can actually call that out and, and move forward. Mm. Wow. That is great. <laughs> 
that is that is good. Yes, planning planning is key. Sorry, I just saw another another comment. So good. So those are your three top do's and don'ts. So one of the things, I guess, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, but how can entrepreneurs potentially prepare for a difficult conversation? So like what activities can you do to really just kind of boost your confidence and reduce the stress of, you know, just asking for certain things? Right. So depending on what that conversation is, some of the things I'm going to give you very specific things that I do when I go into a difficult conversation. So one example is I had a large client who was 60 days late paying me for a service. So the number one thing that I did was I went back to my contract and I had to review the entire contract. It takes a lot of time, but this is what you need to do when you're going into a difficult conversation. So through I review the content through all of my emails to see if I had missed any communication from them about this late payment before I, I jump to the gun and be like where my money at okay and so the next thing that I did was I went through and I checked my business bank account just to make sure I didn't miss this payment so I want to cover all of my bases and then I drafted the email to them of what I wanted to say once I drafted the email, I didn't immediately hit send. I went back to it so that it didn't sound like I was being rude or disrespectful because I want to protect my reputation as a businesswoman. And I know whatever I send in an email can travel to many, many people. It can be forwarded just like that. So I have to monitor my tone. So I go back to it the next day. I send the email, but in the bottom of my email, I say, I would like to hear back from you by close business tomorrow. If not, I know that you're busy. I'll just give you a call tomorrow afternoon. So I am setting that expectation that I would really like you to respond to my email urgently. But if you don't respond to me urgently by tomorrow afternoon, which gives them 24, well, yeah, 24 hours, essentially one full work day, I'm going to be calling you and I'm expecting to have a conversation with you about this. So those are some of the things that I do to prepare. So I'm researching the contract. I am researching my bank account. I'm researching emails to make sure I didn't miss any email or send the email. And then I set that expectation that we're going to have a phone call. Now, once I call them, and most of the time it doesn't get to a phone call, most people will go ahead and reply by email. But I have an outline of what I'm going to say. I, on my outline, I say, this is my greeting. This is why I'm calling. This is the date that I performed the services. This was the date that I was expecting the payment. Did I miss anything? And what's causing the delay in payment, okay? And then I also have on my outline, when can I expect to receive the payment? And I follow up with that phone conversation, with another email that says, hey, this is what we discussed today. Just want to make sure we're on the same page. And that way, we're very clear on what we discussed over the phone, and I follow up in writing. Wow. Wow. Sorry, there was two questions that just popped up at the same time. Sorry, I'm like, I'm like, sorry, you guys, if you see my face going back and forth, I'm like looking at your questions and like trying to engage at the same time. <laughs> I'm like guilty of multitasking. So Makita asks, Jackie, you mentioned having a plan prior to the meeting. Totally agree. But in what situations do you need to have a plan, have an agenda, or have a presentation for a specific meeting? Depends on chances are. If you're pitching your services, um, then you definitely need to have a presentation. If you have performed a service with your business and things are off schedule or you recognize that there was a problem in the system, what you should do at that point is you need to get to a point where you can have um, a self-check moment, okay, and figure out what's your plan of action to rectify that problem. That should be in presentation format. If you're going in for a first time, have an agenda or ask your client if they have an agenda that they would like to share with you. Sometimes you can collaborate on that. And then outlines I typically use for myself if I have an over the phone or um, a webcast meeting is where I like to use those outlines so that I don't miss any of the points that I want to cover in that conversation. Okay, good. Well, I hope that answered your question, Makita. You also mentioned um, 
the presentation. So if you're pitching for the first time, how long should your pitch deck be typically? Just for those who might be curious. So I'm not an expert in pitch deck, so I don't even want to, to get into that because I don't want to give misinformation, but I know that there are tons of great resources out there on pitch decks and the length of pitch decks. So just do a Google search and um, check out FASCO or Inc. website to figure out what they recommend for pitch decks. Okay, perfect, perfect. So a couple more comments. Adrian says, I am guilty of the email attitude. I must step back to reread. Yes. <laughs> Latoya says, I need to practice patience because I don't want to go through all of that, which is why I require full payment before I lift a finger. Probably a bit harsh, though. Well, it uh, Gail, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go for it. I'm sorry. Full payment up front is perfectly acceptable in some industries, okay? So you just want to make sure you keep with industry standards because you want to be competitive as well. And if you're running into the problem where you're attracting a certain type of client who isn't paying you, then you need to reevaluate your target audience and move to a different avatar. An avatar is just your target client. Move to a different avatar if you continuously run against that problem. But definitely stay competitive. If industry average is you receive the full payment up front, cool. But if the industry average is 50% up front, you don't want to take yourself out of the market. So just be mindful of those things. Excellent. Good, good. So, Gail, this is good info. The outline is perfect to set this home. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, good. So, hopefully, this is all uh, making sense to you all. Everyone is asking great questions. Just be sure to continue to ask questions as you hear them. So, we're going to switch gears just a little bit. So, um, as you are starting to build your business, you know, you start to think about joint venture partnerships. You're looking for ambassadors and affiliates. You know, you want to collaborate because, you know, we're not in the business of just being by ourselves. We want to collaborate with other people. So when you start to enter these types of relationships, um, what things should you start to consider? Um, all right. So for, for joint ventures, let's talk about that one. Before you enter any type of agreement or joint venture, you need to be very clear that this is a mutually beneficial deal and you definitely want to seek legal advice. So invest in yourself and in your business. Make sure you put aside the that you can pay for these legal services up front to get that good legal sound advice. But you also want to be mindful of how into your business plan okay a lot of people will hop into a joint venture because it sounds good but it has no impact on how their business is going to operate so get clear on that the next thing is when you're outlining the terms of your joint venture which means you're partnering together for a very specific reason outline simple things like how much money are you both going to invest Who's going to handle what? What shared responsibilities are you going to have? And what individual responsibilities are you going to have? So all of this needs to be outlined in a legal document, which is why I said you want to seek that legal advice, invest in your business. I don't recommend downloading a legal form for a joint venture because this is too important to the growth of your business. The other thing is you want to seek out the right partner okay so you can spend on months looking don't it's like a marriage okay it is really like a marriage so you went and meet someone on the first date and then tomorrow say okay let's get married so you're not going to meet somebody for coffee or dinner and tomorrow sign your joint venture agreement Spend a lot of time, talk about multiple issues, really get to know them, how they operate their business, make sure they're also financially sound in their business before you enter that partnership. Now, as you're going throughout it, you might have your terms set, but things happen. Things happen that we can't control that impact our industry and our business. So in the event that that happens, you need to have a plan up front on how you're going to handle disputes and agreements between each other, okay? And so this needs to be a part of your agreement. How do you handle disputes? Are you going to go to mediation or what's going to happen? All of that needs to be determined before you enter that agreement. And then you want to be open to, if the industry changes, if the market changes, adjusting your partnership agreement. 
So that needs to be agreed upon before you start. So that's why it's really important for you to spend a long time vetting your joint venture partner. Wow. Questions on that so far before I jump into brand ambassadors? No, that's good. So let me ask you that because the end you said, um, if the market change, can you give me, an, can you give us an example of like what happens if the market changes and how that particular joint venture partnership could change for someone? Yeah. So let's say, um, let's use the economy. That's something that no one can control. If the economy tanks and that changes your business or your industry, you might need to reevaluate partnership agreement. That's of no fault of yours, of no fault of your partners, but it impacts you both. So that's when you come back to the table and you might need to renegotiate some terms to make this a fruitful partnership. Okay, got you. Got you, good. Okay, I'm sorry, go for it. Go for the, um, the brand affiliates. <laughs> brand ambassadors. Okay, so likewise, spend a lot of time vetting your, ban your brand ambassadors. You need to be extremely clear upfront what you want your brand ambassadors to do and also how that plays a role into your business model. So you don't want to just go out and get brand ambassadors for the sake of having them. It needs to make strategic sense to grow your business. And also most brand ambassadors aren't paid. So you need to have a significant value add to them. What are you giving them in exchange for talking about your brand? So all of these things be front. You find a YouTube star who absolutely loves what you do, and they want to be an ambassador for your product, and they come with a big ask outside of what you would normally have. So what do you do in that case? You negotiate, okay? You find out what they want. You already have why a brand ambassador is important to your business. So you have their interests and you have your interests, and then you figure out how can you meet in the middle and how can you come to terms and say, okay, this is how I can give you what you want and this is how I can get what I want. And then you close that up with a written agreement. And so with affiliates, um, you really want to make sure it's a good strategic partnership and that someone isn't going to come back as an affiliate and sell the exact same thing that you're selling, okay? Because then they become a competitor and they have all of this inside information. So they need to sign an affiliate agreement that they're not going to take your services and try to sell them. I've always heard that when you choose an affiliate, it should always be someone who complements your business versus someone who's doing the exact same thing or have the ability to do the exact same thing. Yep, that's absolutely correct. Perfect, perfect. So, um, let me make sure. Okay, good. So, um, one of the things that I think a lot of people think about, you know, eventually people don't want to be superwoman. They don't want to always be a solopreneur. So um, what are the essentials in terms of finding the best talent and actually negotiating? Because, you know, people want to come in, especially if you're in a startup phase, you know, you may not have everything an established company may have. So what should you, what should you consider when you're negotiating with your first employees or people who are going to be a part of your team? Yeah. So in this case, when you're negotiating with your first employees or those first people on your team, again, you want to invest in some advice because a lot of times we're not experts in hiring our human resources or the laws surrounding hiring and interviewing. Okay. So when you're negotiating with those very first people, again, find an employment attorney or a human resource consultant and get their best practices for your industry and in your state so that you make sure you're covering all of your bases. Now, people tend to want to negotiate for money. I teach women how to negotiate. So of course I'm going to advocate for you paying them the best market rate. So you want to make sure that you're looking at their full compensation plan when you're bringing on your first employees and making sure that that's competitive. Now, if the budget is small because you're just starting and you're growing, which is normal in most industries, um, consider offering them equity. Now, you wouldn't want to offer them 20% equity unless they're bringing something extremely significant, like maybe a portfolio of clients. But then again, that's where you seek your experts in human resources and your legal team years to figure out how much equity you will offer those initial employees. But again, 
depending on your industry, depending on your state, you want to seek the proper advice so that you're competitive and setting your business up to win financially. Wow. That's great. That's great. So um, just kind of changing the focus, and uh, we got a couple of these <laughs> when we were uh, soliciting for feedback on Facebook and Twitter. So how do you initiate a conversation with a client that has been out of line? Like someone who's just been extremely difficult to work with, um, you know, they're, they haven't exactly been your dream client. How do you initiate those types of conversations? Okay, so one of the things that I find that helps um, decrease your chances of having those difficult clients is setting those proper expectations up front and having those client agreements so they know exactly what to expect from you. That helps manage expectations. But what happens when you get into it and a client has been disrespectful or rude and they're really hard to work with, you want to call them if you can't have a face-to-face -face meeting. I prefer face-to-face -face in this case. And have it over lunch. You know, invite them to lunch, pay for their lunch, and say, you know, I noticed we've been bumping heads on a few things, and I really want this relationship to work. I enjoy doing this type of work, and I see the significant value that it provides to you. Let's talk about ways to smooth out this relationship. Sometimes it can be squashed very easily just having that face-to-face -face conversation and maybe it was a simple misunderstanding that just blew out of control. But what if the client is just one of those difficult people? I've had difficult clients before, so I know exactly what you're talking about where you dread getting an email from them or a phone call. So you want to reset their expectations. So again, face-to-face -face if you can, if not over the phone, and say, you know, you've been calling me at 10, 11 o'clock at night, and you're unhappy that I don't respond immediately. So our business hours are from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Outside of those hours, we won't respond to you unless there is a fire or something like that. And it, it has to be a real emergency. If you know, Whitney, with my emails, I set the my I only respond to emails two times a day. And you can call me if it is an absolute emergency. And I do say it needs to be an absolute emergency for you to contact me. I manage those expectations so that my clients aren't expecting immediate feedback from me via email or text or anything like that. Also, when you're having this difficult conversation because the client has been out of line, an example of something they've done. Let's say you have a joint meeting and they talked down to you or they were disrespectful to you or they were cursing at you in front of your employees, it's completely appropriate to pull them to the side, pull them to the side when you're not emotional and say, I really don't appreciate you use or I don't appreciate the language that you use in that meeting. And so let's talk about that because I don't want that to happen again. And if happen then we're going to have to talk about dissolving our business relationship and so you want to be very direct in the case where sometimes people come at you in front of your employees or in front of other people and it's completely out of line you can politely call them out on that and say whoa whoa that's a little bit out of line and kind of like leave it at that you don't have to go into like all it is and you ain't gonna talk to me like that but you can say okay th that was inappropriate I didn't appreciate that. Let's continue this meeting and talk about that later. So those are just some of the things that you can do. Excellent. Excellent. So, you know, what if you get to the point where you can't reconcile the situation and you need to fire the client? How do you properly fire a client? Because that's a really difficult conversation. That is a really difficult conversation. This goes back to having those legal agreements in place so that you know that if you've already done work and services for them, you can fire them and you can still get your money because it's important. Again, we're running a business. So you need to make sure that your money is protected, which is why I suggest that you go to a really good attorney who's going to set up your business agreement so that you still get paid if a client is out of line and you need to fire them. But you don't just want to fire them out of the blue. You want to give them a couple of warnings. So 
the conversation that I mentioned earlier where you invite them to lunch and you talk about it or you pull them to the side after a meeting. Those are the types of things that you want to say before you jump to dissolving the business relationship. Again, you want to protect your business reputation. You don't want anything to come out of the blue where it can hurt you with referrals and things like that. So what do you say when it's at that point where you need to fire the client? So you just call them and say, you know, um, we've had a change in business direction or we've had a change in vision and we're no longer going to be able to provide the services after this date. So you give them a very specific date that the services will stop. If you have any documents for them, let's say graphic design. So if you have any logos and things like that, also outline in that conversation, you know, I'm going to transfer all of your documents to you or I'm going to mail everything to you. And I'm also giving you three suggestions of other firms that you can work with that will offer similar services. So you want to part ways on a good note. You don't want it to be um, a really aggressive conversation. So give them all of their documents. Let them know the last day that you will provide services for them and give them recommendations for other people and then go on about your way. And that's, that's the best way to handle that difficult conversation because you don't want to get into a shouting match. Excellent, excellent. And I think that's um, something that a lot of people have challenges with. I mean, I think it all goes back to establishing that agreement. I mean, I don't think people realize how important that agreement really is in the beginning because the agreement is almost like a, um, it's a comfort tool. It just makes sure that both sides kind of know what's going on. And like you said, if there's any type of conflict, you can always refer back to that document because if you don't have it, that's when it becomes awkward and you don't really know how to have that conversation. Yeah, and you know, you just want to manage expectations. A lot of problems and difficult conversations can be avoided when you set the proper expectations up front. Now, once you set those expectations, one of the biggest problems that I see with women is they make too many exceptions. And so that agreement isn't even valid. Those expectations that you set up front don't mean a thing because is null and void. So you want to stick to your textbook and that helps you operate your business pretty smoothly. Mm. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so I have, um, personally, I have maybe three more questions. Um, again, if you guys are in the audience watching, if you guys have any questions in regards to the information that Jacqueline is presenting or any other questions in regards to difficult business conversations or negotiation, please let us know because our Time is right. So what are some of your favorite examples or success stories of female entrepreneurs who have negotiated for success or, you know, how have you negotiated for success in your business? Yeah, so one of the things that I negotiated for success is um, partnerships. Being aligned with some of the right organizations and with Zero Gap, I can't disclose the name, so I'm just going to give you the scenario, but these will come pretty soon. Just negotiating special deals that's going to be so I have something that this company needs and they have something that I need. So I am offering X service or product in exchange for their email list or for exposure at an event. And so those are some of the things that you can do to set yourself self up for a success where it's a small investment on my behalf. I tend to, when I make business deals where it's a partnership or a strategic um, alliance, that the investment out of pocket for my business is right around $1,000, okay? But in order for me to do that, the upside of that has to be more than that $1,000 that I'm investing. So that's how I evaluate some of those things. Now, I'll give you another example of a lady that I work with who has done a really good job of investing in her business to help grow it. She actually bought hers. So she has someone come and clean her physical retail space and she provides them with a service twice a month. So they can come into her facility and receive a, a service up to XYZ value. I'm not sure of the dollar amount, but it is equivalent to the, the amount that the lady comes in to clean for, okay? So they barter their services. So this woman gets his service twice a month. This person who has his retail space gets cleaned once a week. 
And so that's another way where I think it's really important when you're negotiating agreements, your bartering deals, and that saves a lot of time and money for the woman who owns the retail space, okay? So those are just a couple of examples that I like to use. Again, you also, you always want to make sure that the dollar amount is something that you're paying attention to when you're negotiating and setting yourself up for success. Excellent, excellent. Okay, I have two more questions for you. So how can female entrepreneurs successfully define their worth and gain confidence to ensure that they're getting what they deserve in their business? So you said confidence? Mm-hmm. Okay, so one of the things with the confidence is um, we've all heard of the imposter syndrome. Am I good enough or can I do this and, and those types of questions. So as someone pointed out, you like my quote on the wall, I have positive affirmations both in the office and at my home. And so I'm constantly looking at those because mindset is so important when it comes to running a business. You're going to hit so many highs and lows, so many challenges. Like building a business, running a business is so incredibly hard. So you have to have a positive mindset at all times to help you endure those rough times. So one of the books that I recommend is Carol Dweck's Mindset. And I put together a list of my and she has that link to send out so that you all can get those books. I highly recommend Carol Dweck's Mindset because that is a game changer. The other thing is, in terms of confidence, you want to make sure you're cataloging success stories from your clients because on those days where you have to go in and pitch your biggest client to date for the largest amount of money that you've ever pitched for, to secure a new client, you want to have that track record of success to boost your confidence and say, I've done this before, I've done this before, I know I can do this. And then the third thing is surround yourself with positive people. You want to be around people who will cheer for you, who will root for you and say, yes, you can do this, you can do it, yes, it's a challenge, it's something that you can overcome. So those are just a few things to help you with that confidence aspect because at some point we're all going to deal with challenges in business and we need that confidence to push through to the next level. Absolutely, absolutely. I would also just add, make sure you surround yourself with other people who are confident and who are not necessarily doing what you are doing, but people who are in business because it definitely helps bring you to another level. I can personally attest to you as my accountability partner. I mean, every time I talk to you, I'm just always thinking about how I can go to the next level. So, you know, if you're not surrounding yourself with positive affirmations or other positive entrepreneurs who are going through, it can be difficult in business. Yes. So final thing, is there anything that you would like to share with us? Anything that's coming up? Um, because, you know, obviously you are a wealth of knowledge. Um, I think that the audience can agree that they've picked up at least several things tonight. So is there anything in the works or anything that people should be looking out for? Yeah, so um, if you don't know, we didn't mention this earlier. I do have a best-selling book. It's Navigating the Career Jungle, a guide for young professionals. So that's one thing that you can pick up because it gives more of my philosophy be on how to set yourself up to win in the workforce. So for those of you who, are, who have a nine to five and you're building your business on the side, check out that book. Also, um, you can sign up for my email list because I am working on my next negotiation book. And so I'm oftentimes sending out excerpts from the new book into email so you can get advance notice of that. And also, um, just general advice that I give to succeed in business and career is going to be on my email list. And I'm really active on Twitter, so feel free to follow me on Twitter. And like I said, if you're ever in the Dallas area, hit me up. Let's get coffee. You cannot pick my brain, but we can talk about all things fabulous tacos, shoes, where to shop, and good coffee. Wow. Well, that is awesome. Thank you, Jacqueline, so much. Thank you for taking the time out to speak to the babes about negotiation and navigating through these difficult conversations. It is definitely appreciated. Again, if you guys are not familiar with Jacqueline, please get familiar with her work. She's been featured all over the world. She's like a, <laughs> a global negotiation strategist at this point. Really amazing advice. Um, 
And again, thank you all for tuning in. Be sure to be on the lookout for next month's installment of Babes in Charge. We will have a lawyer who will be on, and we're going to be talking about legal mistakes that small businesses make. So definitely be on the lookout for that. But um, if there are not any other questions tonight, thank you all so much. Oh, I'm sorry. So we're going to email out the book list with the recommended books as well as the 11 page pdf guide with some of my notes from the questions that you asked for tonight as well as some exercises to help you prepare to win in difficult conversations and negotiations so that's going to be in your inbox and um as a follow-up to this webinar so i just wanted to make sure i let people know that they're going to get that Oh yeah, absolutely. Sorry, you all. <laughs> I'm glad she 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 jumped in to say that. So if you did sign up for the Eventbrite, so if you signed up through the Eventbrite, you will be receiving both the book list and the 11-page PDF. And I just took a peek at it before um, we ha actually had this webinar, so it's really great. So be sure to look at it. Be sure to utilize it. And if you all do use it, let Jacqueline know. Just let her know exactly how you plan to use some of this information tonight. So again, I do want to thank you all, and I hope you all have a fabulous. Fabulous night.